Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're finishing our series today, Your Salvation Story, with a message entitled, Living the Life of Faith. So let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I had made a decision that I would take one short week and do a topical series on the matter of conversion. I wanted to make sure we understood what conversion is and then what are the marks of the new birth, those defining features that are part of all who have received regeneration. And then I've addressed what must we do to be saved. All that's required is faith. And then I've addressed the matter that repentance is a part of true and saving faith for everyone who truly believes also turns from their sin. But today, on the last of this series, I want to speak of the ongoing life of faith. And I have a memory of something that happened shortly after my own conversion. I had been in a struggle, but the Holy Spirit drew me to Christ in spite of my rebellious heart. I was born again, and finally I knew real joy and peace and forgiveness. And how precious those early days were to me. But they were confusing days as well. And so I sought out, of all people, an evangelist. And I asked him, what am I supposed to do now? And looking back at it today, I realized that I'd probably asked the wrong man. Uh, He was so used to calling people to come to Christ, I don't think he knew how to respond to me. And I felt puzzled myself. I mean, what am I supposed to do now? As I think about it, I'm of the opinion that so many others are in exactly the same confusion that I was in. What does the Christian life look like after our conversion? Is there practical training about how to live in the faith so that we're not in danger of falling from Christ? Well, let's begin with Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well then, how did we receive Jesus? Ah, yeah, we we received him by faith. And that's exactly what Paul had in mind. In the very next verse, he talks about being established in the faith. Here's a word of advice for new converts. Indeed, know this. The greatest struggle in your life is the struggle not to abandon the simplicity of what brought you peace with God in the first place. You believed in the Lord Jesus, and thus you were saved. And so from now on, the greatest challenge you'll ever face in your life is to continue to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul reprimands the Galatian Christians. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Well, oh my, new converts turning to a different gospel. I mean, what happened? Well, a great deal happened, but I think it can all be summarized by asking the very question that Paul asks in chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Well, notice how similar this is to Colossians 2, verse 6. As you have received Jesus, so walk in him. So in Galatians, what was the problem? Well, they received the Spirit at salvation by faith, and now after having received the Holy Spirit by faith, They are foolish enough to think that they must carry on growing in the life of Christ by their own efforts, by works. So the worst thing that can ever happen to a new believer is to think that now I believe, I must now therefore achieve growth in Christ on the basis of my efforts. 
Listen, I have for a lifetime now seen thousands of these sad individuals. I mean, these are people who never feel they're good enough for God. Now I respond, listen, of course you're not good enough for God. Ah, but then they respond with a litany of times that they failed Jesus and when they've sinned and when they didn't do what they should have done and, and then they live a life of guilt. And to them I ask, how did you come to God for salvation? Was it not by faith? Are you now so foolish as to think you can now please God on the basis of what you do? Who has bewitched you? Christ was portrayed as crucified for your sins. It was never about what you did. It was always about what Christ did. When did you become so deceived as to imagine it's about what you do? So let me repeat this matter as clearly as I know how to do. Your ongoing walk from the day you believe in Jesus is to spend the rest of your days believing in Jesus. And if you accomplish nothing in your life other than this one thing, that you implicitly trust Jesus in every area of your life, well then, congratulations, you've lived the greatest life possible. Welcome to glory. Receive your eternal reward. And why? Let me explain it again with a strange illustration. Among thieves and crooks and murderers, did you know there's an old saying, it's an old adage, there is honor among thieves. You know, they might be criminals, but a great many criminals pride themselves in this. They are as good as their word. The biggest insult one thief can give another is to say, I don't trust you. Well, now, if that's true of the worst of humanity, what is it? if we so live as not to trust God. It's the worst possible thing we can say. Let me say it again, in a way that's deliberately designed to shock you. I'm deliberately trying to get your attention. Your greatest challenge is not to obey Jesus. I know all manner of people who claim to obey Jesus, and they're obnoxious and proud, and they lord it over others, and they have a suffocating air of spirituality about them. You know, Lord, save me from people like that. No, your greatest challenge is not to obey Jesus. And I know that because a great many misunderstand obedience. Listen to the words of Romans 1 verse 5. Paul was speaking about his preaching. He's declaring Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, look, I wasn't saying that obedience to Jesus doesn't matter. I deliberately overstated the case because I wanted to get your attention. Listen to John 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, look, obedience is not an option. It's a requirement of all who are disciples of Christ. But there is obedience and then there's obedience. That's to say, there are really two kinds of obedience. The one is God-glorifying. And the other is a kind of profanity, which is an assault against the glory of God. Paul speaks about an obedience of faith. Other translations trying to interpret that phrase speak about an obedience that arises out of faith. Think of it this way. There is a kind of obedience in which after we have obeyed, we think we've earned God's favor. And so many people have that idea in their heads. They think, how can God accept me? I've sinned so much and I've not obeyed well enough. Well, what is that? That's an obedience that thinks if I obey, God will bless me. And that idea is oppressive. It opposes grace. It makes mockery out of the promises of God. It's a sin to think that way. But there is an obedience of faith. So think about it this way. 
Every single command that God gives is attached to a promise. So here's a command. You should forgive your enemies. But why should you forgive your enemies? Well, because God has forgiven you of greater offenses than that. And as you forgive your enemies, you're going to become aware of just how much Christ has forgiven you. So you don't forgive to gain God's approval. You forgive to understand God's approval. And besides, you should also know that God is just and no one is getting away with anything. So you can just relax and trust God. But this is the point. God gives commands not because we're doing something for God. And now God owes us something. That's not true. Again, that's about as anti-Christ as I can imagine. Instead, God gives commands so that his blessing in our lives increases. Listen, we obey God not for God's sake. We obey God for our sakes. The commands are God's means of blessing you. They're maximizing your joy, not maximizing how good you are. Even the most obedient of us must know that our obedience is as filthy rags before God. There's there's only one who is good, and that is God. And I return again to my theme, what must I do now that I am saved? And the answer is, you must do the same thing that you had to do when you weren't saved. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you learn to trust him in your salvation for the forgiveness of sins and for your acceptance before God, in learning how to live and learning how to hope and learning how to deal with all the sufferings and sorrows and disappointments in life, if in all things you trust Jesus, you're living as well as you can. Okay, I think I've made that point now. So, let's learn how to live by faith, shall we? Where do we begin? I think we have to begin in the very place where the Bible calls us to begin. Let's start with the first ever Christian evangelistic sermon. When the invitation was finally given, Peter said, and here I'm reading Acts 2, verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Yep, it's as simple as that. First act of faith after conversion, get baptized. What does it mean to be converted? It's a term not always embraced in today's society. It's often misunderstood or even poorly defined. But by taking a closer look, we begin to understand the breadth and depth of what it means to be saved. Dr. John's newest series, Your Salvation Story, is a five-message series on the nature and reality of experiencing true conversion. What happens when someone's converted? Can a person lose their salvation? Is it possible to keep sinning after being genuinely saved? What's God's role and what's my role? We want you to not only join us this month as Dr. Neufeld teaches this series, but we also want you to have this series on CD as our free gift. So just call us and ask for your salvation story. And if you're able, please consider offering a gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I've often been asked why baptism is so important. And to that, I love to point first to the meaning of baptism and then second to the effect of baptism. So let's start with Romans 6 verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. 
And then later on in verse 11 of that same chapter, we're told that we are to consider or reckon or to think of ourselves as being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Well, that requires faith. I know you don't feel dead to sin, and I know you still struggle with sin, but God in mercy has declared you dead to sin in Christ. I know you're struggling to believe that promise, and you need to believe it, for God has spoken it to you. Your baptism is your public statement that you agree or that you believe that if God has spoken it, it must be true. I am dead to sin. I'm alive to God in Christ, and I'm demonstrating it this day. Now, of course, this statement, to use contemporary language, well, it's laden with all sorts of implication because this outs you. Listen to Jesus on this matter, and here I'm reading Matthew 10, 32 to 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Look, Jesus knows that if you privatize your faith, well, you're turning your back on your faith. Who keeps his marriage a secret except the one who's thinking about committing adultery? Or who keeps their love of sports secret? Well, period, I guess. Who keeps their profession a secret except the person who hates it and doesn't like what they're doing? Jesus is in the business of encouraging us to trust him. And so if you want to know what to do when you've believed on the Lord Jesus, listen, go public in the way that Jesus commanded you to go public. Get on your phone. I mean, immediately after this message, call your pastor. Make arrangements for your baptism. What else should you do? Well, I'm going to very quickly give seven job descriptions for every new believer, and I've already given you the first. Go get baptized. Second, make it your life's work to believe Jesus when he says that your sins are forgiven. So I would suggest you memorize a few key verses. Romans 3 verse 28 comes to mind. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That is, we Christians all agree. We're made clean and forgiven before God apart from anything we do. Rather, we're forgiven by faith in Jesus. Oh, and and Ephesians 1 verse 7 also comes to mind. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Wow, forgiveness not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 also comes to mind. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Yeah, yeah, it's not your doing. Your forgiveness is God's doing. Had nothing to do with how good you were or your works. It has everything to do with grace. Ah, but you say, you know, I've sinned since I came to know Christ. Well then, don't hide it. I mean, the worst thing you can do is hide it. Don't deny it. No, no. 1 John 1, 9 now comes to mind. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So do what Christ calls you to do. Confess. Don't hide your sin. Acknowledge it. And then note there is grace for you, and this will be a lifelong struggle. The devil is going to hold your sins before you and say, ha, you call yourself a Christian, do you? What do you do? Well, you just hold all the promises of God before the devil and say, here's what I call myself. I call myself one who believes in Jesus. And you, the enemy of my soul, say I'm not forgiven, but he, the one who bled and died for me, says I am forgiven, and I believe him. 
Listen, that's the battle of a lifetime. That's because as you grow in Christ, you're going to become more aware of your sin than before, but you need also become more aware of his grace. Christ won't let you go. Okay, first be baptized. Second, begin to believe the promises. Most specifically, pour through the Bible. Believe all the promises of Christ's grace given to you, not on the basis of your works, but on the basis of his grace expressed in the cross. Third, begin to learn all the promises of God. But here, I'm going to argue that you need to, at the outset, learn the promises as they relate to four specific areas of your life. First, learn about the word adoption both adopted as a joint heir with Christ, that you are promised to inherit all that belongs to Christ with the exception of his deity. And also learn that you're adopted into the family of God and commit yourself to a local church. I'm gonna come back to that. Okay, learn the matter of adoption. Second, learn the promises given to you in the Holy Spirit. Understand that the spirit of the living God lives in you. Believe it, appropriate it. So in that sense, learn that the Holy Spirit has given you the power to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. Learn also that the Holy Spirit has given you specific gifts. So you're going to need to discover what gifts he has given you. You're learning the promises of adoption. You're learning the gift of the Holy Spirit. You need to also learn the promises of God's providential care in your life. He has promised never to leave you or forsake you. You've also got to learn Romans 8, 28, that God will cause all things, including your disappointments and sufferings, and he will cause them to bring you eternal, long-term good. So don't curse God for your sufferings. Thank him, for he brings these things into your life so that you will lose your love for this world and you'll cling in hope to an eternal kingdom. Finally, you'll also want to learn the promises about heaven so that you can keep your eyes fixed on your eternal reward. Now, already, you're getting it. Be baptized. Claim the promise of forgiveness. Never stop believing that. Third, pour through the Bible. Learn all the other promises. But that is attached to something else, a fourth assignment. And here, I hesitate because I must warn you, it's a dangerous assignment. And yet, it's one of the most rewarding ones you can do. You need to establish a daily habit of grace. That's going to include a daily regiment of reading your Bible, then learning to pray daily, and also daily confessing your sins to God, and then thanking God for his grace. Do it every day. Learn the discipline of this. Establish it as much as a habit as eating and sleeping is in your life right now. Now, I say it's dangerous because we can easily become confused about why we're doing this. Some people unaccustomed to the doctrine of grace view this daily discipline of what we call devotions as an act of works. God is going to be pleased with me if I do it, and he's going to be disappointed with me if I miss, and more so, if I'm not getting the most out of my devotions, it's got to be a sign that I've got a very bad spiritual life. Do You see how easily we go from grace to works? It's insidious. Instead, you need to view your daily devotions as a time to remind yourself of grace. You aren't doing devotions for God. You're doing them for yourself, for you remember how quickly you forget grace. And so you begin to depend on what you do. But daily Bible reading and prayer and confession of sins and daily praising God for his grace, well, what's that going to do? It's going to build in you the dependence on God and the assurance of his love, and the awareness of the great love of Jesus. You see, if you do it right, you're going to grow. 
But if you do it out of works, it'll become a tyranny. It'll ensnare you. Well, what else? Let me quickly add three more items. You need to join the church. Submit to the discipline of worship. You need to weekly be under the preaching of the word. Listen, please don't go to a church where scripture is not being accurately taught. You're so wayward. God has provided church to hold you fast. And in the process, you need to live your life with Christian brothers and sisters and learn how to love them. And you will, in the church, need to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has already given you and learn to serve somewhere. I mean, service will take away all your selfishness. It's going to tear it out of you. And that's good. Because like before, you don't want to be deceived. You're not helping God out when you're serving. Instead, God is helping you out when you're serving. You will learn how it is that God has served you, and you'll learn to imitate him. Well, what else? Well, six, learn to share your faith with others. You know, most good local churches have training to help you do this, so avail yourself of it. Sharing your faith like baptism will force you to go public. And finally, arm yourself for battle. You have a strong enemy, Satan, but don't tremble, for we know who is stronger than he. Learn to engage in spiritual warfare and know this. The greatest area of warfare is to become a man or a woman of love and grace. Love your enemies, love your church, love your spouse, and above all, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And so as you have received Jesus, continue to walk in Him. John, I think it's worthy of speaking to again. I mean, you give us so many examples of things that are going to help nurture us in our faith. But the reality is we have to be cautious that we don't get caught up in these things so those become the most important things and indeed not our faith in Christ. Yeah, we have a very subtle enemy, don't you know it? I mean, you know, the, the evil one, if we commit ourselves to saying, you know, I'm just going to go all out for Jesus, man, anything he says, I'm going to say yes. He's going to make sure that he can twist that so that we become works-oriented, so that we think that by what I'm doing, I'm somehow earning God's favor. So suddenly our minds get twisted and we're in as big a problem as we were before. So the constant need to go back to Colossians 2 verse 6, as I have received Christ as Lord, through faith and by faith alone, and that principle I will continue to walk. If we can just say that to ourselves over and over again, we will help ourselves. Thanks so much, John, and thanks for joining us this week for Back to the Bible Canada. And remember to join us again on Monday as John starts a new series on the book of Haggai, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. There's nothing minor about this prophet, so join us next week for Dr. Newfeld's one-week study on the book of Haggai. If you're going through life feeling like you've lived outside of the presence of God, if so, Haggai has the answer. Though it may not seem inviting at first glimpse, if we learn to submit ourselves to the Lord in all we do, we'll discover that God has invited us to join Him on a bigger mission than we could have ever imagined possible. Find out how in this new five-message series, God's Presence Among His People. And if you'd like a copy of this series on CD for your own, Purchase it for only $8 plus applicable shipping and taxes. Or if you'd like to support the ongoing Bible teaching ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca.